Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. And we are broadcasting live on Rumble and Rockfin. So if you are a premium subscriber, you get the whole 60-minute, really, DNB XR live on video on Rockfin, rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Or if you're a free listener, go on to Rumble, to our Propaganda Report channel on Rumble, and you'll get the first free 30 of the DNB with video on Rumble. I think we're also streaming on Twitter. We have a couple of other live things that are super fun coming up. We're having a Zoom party on Saturday. Everything you don't really want to know about Ukraine and you can get it off your chest. We're hopefully going to have people from other countries talking about the propaganda they're getting. If you want to do that, uh, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report, become a patron saint. Do it only for one uh, month if you want. And if you're a Rockfin subscriber or a local subscriber, I can give you a package deal. So email me at the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com. And tonight... Uh, Binkley's doing a live stream on locals, propreport.locals.com. That's free. So check that out. And it is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. And a big shout out to a super fan whose birthday is today. His name is Anthony. Happy birthday, Anthony. Happy birthday, Anthony. I had no idea it was St. Patrick's Day. I'm not wearing green. I'll pinch myself later, I guess. <laughs> Wasn't that All annoying right, well, in school? People just it's just a reason to assault people when you're in like elementary school is St. Patrick's Day. You don't wear green, you get pinched. I don't know. I always wore green and I came from a really Irish background and I don't know anybody who didn't wear green on St. Patrick's Day. But yes, I'd be pinched too. I'm wearing red. All right. Well, there's been some interesting stories in the news about secure privacy technology. It's kind of being advertised. Case in point, there's a story today about the phone that President Zelensky uses. You know, the global hero, President Zelensky, just delivered that address to Congress. He is using a phone that enables him to send daily messages to the outer world, emails, phone calls, whatever, without being tracked by the Russian secret services. They <laughs> cannot figure out his whereabouts because of this unique phone that he uses. Now, the device is a satellite mobile phone with a battery life that allows five hours of talk time and a whole day of standby time. It has an SOS button to send out a distress signal in case of danger or an emergency. The phone is believed to be what is called a IRIDIUM, that's a Iridium? Yeah, 9575A, which is also commonly used in the White House because you know where he got this phone. He got it from his number one ally, President Joe Biden. The United oh States government gosh. has provided him with a secure phone so they can communicate without the Russians. His following. own personal person-to-person right. tracking device. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and this is uh, another story that follows the theme of we have these secure ways that we're getting information to Russians that Russians are getting around Putin's restrictions, that Ukrainians are getting the correct information. And they're serving as advertisements for phones like this, for apps like Signal and Telegram, the secure messaging apps, for CNN promoting the use of the Tor browser in Russia. And it seems to me that these secure apps and technology are being marketed to the broader public that maybe was not as familiar with them before. And at the same time, in coordination with these types of stories, we're getting stories like 
smart devices are watching you everywhere and violating your privacy, computer scientists warn. Or this one, Ukraine killed a Russian general after he made an unsecured call that gave away his location. Now, this to me signals that they want people to start using these messaging apps under the belief that they're going to be more secure than the normal standard platforms that they are using, like a 100 flowers campaign type thing. You scare the people about the apps they're using, the broader public, and then you funnel them towards these secure messaging apps. And then they get on these messaging apps and they start saying things that maybe they wouldn't have said on regular social media because they feel more secure. And then their FBI handler that drew them into that app turns around and turns them into a domestic Putin-loving terrorist or however they're going to classify these people. That That's a, a very good insight. And one of the items I have in the deepest dive of the day today, uh, I actually thought about that, that we're headed to a future where that private stuff is not even going to be possible. And I have heard that if you get a VPN, you're basically like some sites will block you and you're on a list somewhere. You are de facto suspicious activity. Right. And if you're at a point where it's, well, I started using the Tor browser. Why? Because CNN said so. Then I think we've reached a problem point. Yes, now, actually, I, yeah. I was interested in a VPN and without doing anything but thinking that, because that's how it works these days, Yahoo sent me an invitation to do their thing, which is like Nord or something. I'm like, I don't want a VPN from Yahoo. Like that seems right. inherently contradictory, but and yeah, that's I agree the with that. trick. Yeah. Cause there are multiple types of these platforms, yes. I believe. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's even multiple types of tour browsers. I think there's more of a standard tour one. That... was just the CIA thing. Maybe I'm not sure. Or, uh, uh, I don't know about that, but I'm wondering where Zelensky is because he's clearly trapped without any water. Otherwise he might shave before he, who makes these national broadcasts. Did you notice that? Why would he stop shaving? So that he looks haggard <laughs> and on the run. That's the only reason I can think of. So you know how I track these perfect storms? There's every everything. So for me, anything that's completely manufactured from the government, from the agenda setters in order to foster support for policy, if if the explanation isn't clear of why we're in this horrible, unprecedented situation that needs laws that we never even thought about before, anytime that you can't really figure out where this phenomenon came from and it's like a bunch of little things that came together at once and never came together before, they call it a perfect storm. And I've been keeping track lately. There's so many of these that I get another perfect storm at least once a month. So You're like a I meteorologist only... of the perfect political storm. Yes, yes, exactly. So the only time I'll even highlight it is when the, the expression is used, another per you know, that this is a perfect storm. So yesterday or the day before, there was another perfect storm. The GOP was talking about how we have these rising um oil prices and it's a um so let's see what the actual quote was. The There is no denying that abandoning traditional fuel sources and failing to export LNG, liquefied natural gas, to our allies per the left's climate agenda created the perfect storm for Putin to take advantage of. This is 
the representative from Michigan, Fred Upton, who serves on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. So that's a little bit of a tortured perfect storm. It is abandoning traditional fuel sources, failing to export LNG to our allies, which we've been trying to do and do actually do. But why would they do that when they have stuff piped right from Russia? Cheaper, better, safer. Uh, so that's not really a perfect storm. That's an opportunity, but they want to call it a perfect storm because it's an opportunity that is highly manufactured, not just the fact that they, uh, that, that there's a move again away from traditional fuel sources, but that they've made us, they put up basically sanctioned us by telling us that we can't buy Russian oil. Russia, Russia doesn't want to start, stop exporting oil. So this, all this, all these fuel prices are fuel price hikes to me are ginned up um, or, and, and we're already being ginned up before this. So this is just another continuation of trends that were already in place. And I had begun. Sometimes I wonder about my aha moments, if they came in out of um, because they're poised to break on the scene or if I'm just one step ahead of it, I don't know. I tend to think it's just I'm responding to what's, you know, the maelstrom around me of propaganda, which I absorb so much of that. Uh, but I realized I was like, what the climate change thing makes no sense, makes no sense, makes no sense. Like, why are they just focusing on fossil fuels? And I finally thought, I think it's a geopolitical thing. I think they just feel like they are not going to conquer Russia and the Middle East and they need to take fossil fuels out of the out of the equation for world power. And they'll do that even if they have to stop us from traveling altogether. Airline problems, Zoom calls, whatever, uh, they're they're moving away from that. And and this article that had the, the perfect storm thing was just absolutely rife with uh, vectors that point in that direction, in my opinion. It says that green groups are celebrating this war as an opportunity to end our reliance on foreign oil. The Sunrise Movement, which are those little brats from the global, somehow related to the World Economic Forum's global shapers, but they're purely uh, focused on environmentalism. It's like, this should be a, a signal for us to move away from all oil. Biden um, said himself that the war against Ukraine and its effect on global oil markets, quote, should motivate us to accelerate a transition to clean energy. So I was seeing this, these things happening. And then, of course, as the uh, icing on the cake, there was a senator from Wyoming, John Barrasso, saying the final sticking point is Nord Stream 2. He said, Germany saying they're going to delay approval of the pipeline isn't good enough. I want to permanently stop that pipeline. You know, Putin very effectively uses energy as a weapon. He uses it against other countries and he uses it to fund his military. So they're out there trying to stop oil from a moral point of view, from a, um, you know, national security, war, green, whatever. And I just think it is pure, pure geopolitics. Then uh, I told you yesterday about how Biden's blaming inflation on Putin and all of this stuff. And the GOP is picking up on that, like it predated it. So that's a way to get that. It's just grist for the dialectical mill to uh, repeat a, a phrase I heard recently. But it also is a way to turn that obvious fact into uh, by a partisan issue, but it's definitely true. And that trend, it gets away from the fact that that trend had other causes, which were also policy related. But finally, another thing that I read today that folded into a trend I'd seen or a, a worry I had 
was remember when I was saying how I saw all these uh, references all at once to 70s style oil crisis, gas crisis. This was actually before this thing really took off, but I, I thought the 70s style oil crisis was prompted by price and wage controls and these really complicated um, regulatory pricing mechanisms that resulted in massive shortages. And that's why you had long lines. It was that Elul obsessional propaganda where it drove it home to you because it was so painful for you. But I saw today that a big article that said Biden demands a faster drop in gas prices as oil tumbles, pointing out that oil prices fluctuate wildly from $20 to $120, but gasoline prices stay pretty close in a narrow gap. And I remember when the last time prices hit the roof might've been 2008. Uh, I think I was still living in California at that time. I can't remember, but uh, the, yeah, I think it was because the gas prices went over $5 a gallon for the first time I'd ever seen. And then when oil prices plummeted, Gas prices hardly backed off at all. Now I think it's touched $7 here, $7 a gallon out here. Yeah, I think it has touched that. I mean, I get the premium, wow. so maybe regular isn't. Uh, yes, and I expect that they're, they are talking about, Biden's complaining about that. That sounds to me not only price and wage controls but or price controls, but complicated rules. And I do agree the oil thing is like crisis and Leviathan. You have a crisis, government gets bigger, it never gets back to where it was before. Same thing with gasoline prices and oil prices. Absolutely. I'm a little disappointed that they haven't started painting the gas pumps blue and yellow and putting little pictures of the tiny, the victims of all the bombings on the gas pumps so that you know it's okay to pay a little bit more because you're doing it to protect Ukraine. I What you're saying they echoed those themes in a think tank I was watching from, it was either CFR or Brookings. Again, I've been watching these on double speed the past couple of weeks because they're having new ones pumped out every day or so. And one of the things that they explicitly said was, isn't this kind of a continuation of the spending that governments worldwide did during COVID, the Ukraine spending in order to send aid and to help, help people out to save the world from whatever the threat is. So they, pretty much confirmed that they're just continuing the same type of big government expansion and spending in order to take control from COVID to Russia and Ukraine. They also threw climate change in there, which they always do. So where are we now? What's the next story we got? I got oh, my, computer my notes programmers are okay, taking. Right. Yeah. So there's these stories that are out now about how computer programmers and specifically how anonymous is waging war against Russia. They have declared war on Russia, anonymous. Now, that's appealing to a certain crowd because you think anonymous, you think the, the was it the guy, guy Fox mask and he talks in that voice changing tone and he speaks directly to Putin in this video apparently. Now, Hillary Clinton called for anonymous and other cyber hackers to do this before it happened. I do mm. want to point out she did <laughs> this in an interview and Perfect. I find it interesting that Anonymous, they say Anonymous is waging war. Some of the things that they say Anonymous has done in this war on Russia is they have they've claimed responsibility for disabling the Russian government, the Russian government as a whole, uh, the news and corporate websites in the Russian government, and for leaking data from entities that are connected to the Russian government and federal agencies in Russia. But the problem here is that there are multiple checkmark anonymous accounts and 
they're saying very different things. Really? One of them looks like the typical anonymous that you would think of. And it has a blue a check mark? Check marks on YouTube. And I think they have check marks on Twitter too. I know at least one of them does. I think they both do. How do you get a blue check mark when you are a secret illegal? Yeah. How do you verify your identity? Yes. When you are what anonymous. Hell? Yeah, that's a great You're point. literally anonymous. Yeah. Well, maybe they just sent a picture of the guy Fox mask and they said, that, that's you. And they checked it off. But here, one of the accounts sends a direct threat to Putin. And the other account is saying very opposite things, echoing themes like we speak about, where they're, you know, they're not this, this triumph and simplicity and, you know, a B thinking, no, no, no nuance is is what the one side is doing. The other one is kind of diving into the weeds a little bit, like we are. And the one that's more reasonable and seems like the actual anonymous has been around a lot longer than the one who has waged war on Putin. They have five million subscribers, whereas the anonymous one is anonymous official. That's the one that is speaking more like us. The anonymous check mark has two hundred seventy one thousand subscribers and that's the one that is speaking hillary clinton's message but they do a very tricky thing here so you have these two anonymous and you, you don't distinguish them when you talk about them in the media and one of them has their message to vladimir putin this is two weeks ago and this is the one that is the the pro hillary clinton way of, of delivering the message the next video it has after that and this is how you get different types of groups roped into this is anonymous demands the release of ross ulbricht so they have that to make to make themselves appear to be that legitimate anonymous, and I mean, then they awesome. are yes propagating the mainstream media message following that. It's a very interesting dynamic. I don't believe that the one that they're talking about in the media is the actual anonymous that we think about. I think the other one that's much bigger and been around longer is. But when you hear the anonymous thing, remember that we that really uh, that weaponizes the Ross Ulbricht thing, and I doubt anything will ever make me question the authenticity of his story. Absolutely not. But it does kind of chunk him into the, you know, to take someone, you know, it's like a tainting. It's taint agent. Yeah, move. exactly. Yeah. A taint agent. Taint agent move. Okay. So are you doing that for legit bats? So I can use it as a drop taint agent. Taint agent. Let's say it together. Taint, taint agent. agent. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope to hear that on Legit Bat very soon. But you can't tell him that we did it. He's got to find no, it himself. He's find like it an himself, Easter egg. Yeah. If he doesn't find right. it, he doesn't get that's, it. That's their loss. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so I read an article today, a couple of articles that really are confirming for me where this all is headed. And it's amazing that this article that I read on Off Guardian about the 10 specifics of how the Ukraine war promotes the Great Reset it's not just the Ukraine war that promotes it. It's it's just the way they identify those 10 features. It's really a fantastic article. It's in the show notes. But I do feel like a big part of this, and I have thought for a while, is that before I read that article, was that they're, they're, they've decided that they're going to implement a new Cold War. And the articles I read today made me piece it together a little more specifically, which is I think that what they were doing, like with Yeltsin and how they – um, enriched oligarchs and kind of defrauded the people. That's a long story. But when they went kind of um, broke down the Iron Curtain, it was supposed to, they were supposed to just divvy up all of the state stuff to the people. But 
they they were so untrustworthy as a government that no one believed that those pieces of paper, the shares and all these stocks and everything were worth anything. But people who did know went around and bought them for pennies on a dollar, you know, or uh, uh, pennies on a ruble. And then the oligarchs who accumulated all that were really, really rich. And I think what they probably expected to do, and I think they sent over some disingenuous, not really free market capitalists, economists, under the guise of being free market capitalists, over to Russia after the Iron Curtain fell and uh, told them how to redo things. But what they really wanted, in my opinion, was probably like a mercantilist thing. I think this is what we do in Southeast Asia. What we really want is a market for our goods. We don't want competition for supply. And uh, that's why I always, I remember some black guys were calling in to my show on WSB saying, hey, at least we used to have our own uh, burger joints. Now we don't have our own burger joints and everything's a, a McDonald's. And that is literally, that's the example I've mentioned before. And it's literally what was in the journal today. It's like, some people are saying, we really don't want, we, we want kvass. We want our good, healthy, natural Russian drinks. We don't want Coke. Um, but they also quoted someone from the McDonald's fan club saying that 30,000 Russians wait, waited online when the first McDonald's opened up in wherever it was, Moscow. So, But some people are saying, we don't care. We don't need you for that. Yeah. Uh, and, and the whole narrative unfolded where when Putin took over from Yeltsin, all of a sudden everything changed. The economy started going gangbusters. He started making sense. He started making things safer, economically more viable. Now things, you know, it's a very long story. I'm not going to get into every little bit of it, but it seems to me that, that they are deciding to go with the cold war thing. So they'd rather, rather than split the market for production, they'd rather just keep a bifurcated market for supply and demand. But that is going to mean a lot of Russia, China stuff is on the rise. And I would say that this goes to how I think the West is betrayed by its elites. And it's important to keep separate what they're doing and why yeah. from like America's interest. And I'm going to get into that in the deepest mm -hmm. dive of the day. Definitely. I love this idea of McDonald's stopping selling in Russia being a big thing. That's like saying crack dealers stop selling in Russia. They will not deliver to Russians. Right. And it's funny because Wall Street Journal was kind of saying, you know, like, come on, like, really, anybody wants to see Coke and McDonald's go away? And I'm thinking, uh, I think we all want to see Coke and McDonald's go away. Absolutely. OK. There was a story about how American private schools now need to weigh the consequences of accepting children of Russian billionaires. So we, we're the, now targeting children who could be going to school in America. Yes. There was a. Manhattan Private School Advisors, it's, it's called the Manhattan Private School Advisors, and the founder of this said that there's been an uptick in calls from Russian parents of late, and he said that they've dealt with Russian parents before for years, but the political climate has changed things, and they added that bullying Russian children had already started in some schools. We pointed this out last week. It has started in some schools. Why has it started in some schools? Probably because of the messages that the mainstream media are propagating about how evil Russians are. So whose fault is that, that bullying of Russians has started in schools? It's the government and the media's fault that that has happened. But to the fact that they are now worrying about these consequences, they might be excluding these children from American schools trying to come over here. Wouldn't you want them to come over here? Isn't that the idea if you can educate uh, another country's children under your 
ideology or whatever the school is propagating, wouldn't that give you more control over them than it would to exclude them? Wouldn't it make them hate you to exclude them? Wouldn't you rather influence them from the time they are children than wait and fight them when they are older? Oh, I mean, do you have an answer? Do you no, my, an answer? my answer is yes. I think that that is stupid. I think absolutely you control the hearts and minds of the children then you control the hearts and minds of the future. So I think that's questionable. But this idea of like not allowing them to come, it still fits this theme that we're seeing of everybody is not allowing anything Russia. They're pulling their uh, their operations out of Russia. They're stopping Russians from using their products or using their services. There was a, another story about the, a Western cloud storage provider creating a digital crisis in Russia because they're not going to be allowing them to use their storage anymore. So Russia now has a limited storage space. It can only last them for the next two months. This is like the internet infrastructure cutting people off right here. So we've talked about this before, and this is what I bring this back to, is they're doing the things to Russia that they attempted to do in a softer way to anybody who was vaccine hesitant, to anybody who wore a mask on their chin instead of on their nose, to anybody who questioned the results of the election. They're trying to, the great cancellation, I know people have talked about that, but they are doing the things to Russia that they could not fully do to these people who disagreed with the main narrative here in America because democracy got in the way, because our rights got in the way. But the rights don't apply to Russia as a whole, so they can do these things. They can pressure the corporations to do these things and pressure the schools to do these things. They are applying that over there as a grand test, and they are going to be further encouraging corporations to do it to people here because they can then rope these people as they continue to connect them to Russia as domestic terrorists. I think that's where a lot of this is headed. Yes, I don't disagree with you there. And uh, we've got, I did want to comment on the school thing though, is that you know, when there's a lot of emphasis on diversity, and I remember in my in when I went to graduate school, it was a really small school, and it was just like so some people were there who were clearly only there because of diversity, gay or I mean black, whatever, that they that they had like a checklist and they wanted to make sure they had one of everybody. And I noticed that I started to become friends, you know, that my friend group was totally diverse, which was fine with me. I mean, we had more in common than we had different. That is for absolute sure. But I, um, I particularly noticed that then you start to, which is generally a good thing, you start to see someone else's point of view really truly. And it's hard to actually get somebody else's point of view. And it's much easier to get it if you know that person personally. So if you had Russian kids in the class, they would, they, their point of view would become known. So I think that even a minority in your midst can open your mind in a way that they just don't want to tolerate. That's a great point. They don't want to allow our children to be tainted by yeah. the perspective of the Russian children. Because one little grain of different perspective or truth yeah, right. would really, um, I mean, could just topple the whole thing. It would poison the well of lies. Yes, exactly, exactly. So we do have this big deep dive, which I'm pretty excited about. But before we get to that deepest dive of the day, where we're going to continue to talk about how the war in Ukraine promotes the Great Reset. I did the first five yesterday. I'm going to do the second five today. But before we get to that, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR. That is the uh, extended portion of the DNB. We are going to talk about a handy method for evaluating scientific evidence that I came upon, and it's 
pretty handy. And we're also going to talk about what sales of this have dropped drastically since COVID restrictions have been scaled back. Let me think about that. Yeah, think about that. See if you guys can guess what it is. All right. I have a guess already, and I'm going to save it for the XR. Yes. The XR isn't all fluff. We tend to let our hair down, but it's not all it's This not isn't all a fluff, fluff story there. No. Oh, it's not? Oh, it's excellent. Not. Fantastic. Good to know. Okay. So before we get to all that, I want to tell people, well, two things. I want to tell people about the ads. So we have these ads, these canned ads. I figure it's a great way to keep the free stuff flowing and people who don't want extra content, don't want to go out of pocket, don't have to support us that way. They can just let the ads play. I did curate the ads though. And I said, no government ads because government ads are purely materialistic. It's not like a free market. If you don't like the product that you're hearing an ad for, don't buy it. So, um, and I'd think of it less as us supporting them as them supporting us. And if you don't buy their product, then we don't support them. But um, so I, I don't want to overly curate like arm's length transactions, but I did ask them not to do big pharma or specifically, I don't know what stuff that I thought would, would make sure we didn't get back stuff. And the government stuff was to avoid the back stuff also. But I've gotten two complaints about Roundup ads, Roundup ads. So Roundup is like a, the weed killer, right? And it's yeah. no longer owned by Monsanto. But uh, so I did turn off all like garden products. So, but the thing is you can only do huge categories. So I can't do everything because I would just eliminate everything. But if you keep, if you hear ads that you really think are um, immoral, like egregiously immoral, you may let me know at the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com. And uh, if I get more than one complaint about the same thing, I will pursue it. But uh, they did respond, and I think, I think that's good. And I wonder if us talking about Roundup will help prevent it from showing up. In no, the it'll show. probably generate an ad. But I, but I turned it off, so hopefully it won't happen today. But I just think this is interesting. I think it's a great way to use the free market to, yeah. to get the truth out. And, you know, they demonetize us left and right. The fact that they put us on this thing, I'm amazed. And Let's you can see how sign up for one of our other services. Or, oh, or yeah. So Instagram. if you don't like it, you do patreon.com slash propaganda report, prop report.locals.com or Rockfin, which I think is the biggest bargain ever, where you get all of our XR stuff, plus Binkley's super, super deep dives and all the exclusive content from everybody else. So that's fantastic. And if you want a package deal on that or anything else, give me a, um, a shout at the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com. And now you can listen to these ads. And if you hear something about like Roundup, you can let me know. And now on to the deepest dive of the day. So there are some good ones in here, I can tell you. Holy cow. Or interesting. Not good. They're not good. They're, they're 10 signs the war in Ukraine is part of the Great Reset. Part two. So today is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. If you want part one, go to, that's audio only. Some people might be watching this on Rumble. Uh, audio only. You can go to the Propaganda Report podcast and find that on our March 16th show. So, so this brings us to number six. So I'll, I'll read it off and I'll tell you what I think and what they think. It's a great article. It's in the show notes. This war marks a major inflection point in the globalist aspiration for new international rules, a new international rules-based order anchored in Eurasia. And they specifically refer to out of the gate the McKinder Doctrine, which was mentioned in our last Rockfin 
deep dive, if you'll recall, that chick who was a complete plant, Elisa or whatever her name yeah. was, the Ukrainian chick. So the one who looked like a Nazi school mom, but a little bit sexy. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about her perfect glasses, not a hair out of place. And she was, she was quite good looking. She was kind of, you know, if you like that, you could definitely, you know, put a little whip in her hand and <laughs> I'm sure she would happily oblige. <laughs> I'm sure she would. Anyway, so she mentioned the McKinder doctrine, which you don't hear too much about, but this mentions it as the father of geopolitics, Halford McKinder opined over a century ago that the rise of every global hegemon in the past 500 years, although I, I would be surprised if that's a direct quote because global hegemony uh, really didn't exist over the past, you know, the 500 years prior to him. It's like a technological impossibility in my opinion, but I could be wrong. He might have differed. Um, has been possible because of the dominance over Eurasia. Similarly, their decline has been associated with losing control over that pivotal landmass. I've talked about this many times. The Eurasian landmass is the, is the Earth islands, the world islands, and all the actual islands around that are the English-speaking, like English empire stuff. So that's why navies are important. That's why we have this alliance with the U.S., the whatever, the five eyes, yada, yada. Uh, but as that, so if Russia and China are the, have a real alliance, especially if they bring India into it, they then would be the natural over Europe, not, not the U S or even, you know, England, like the, that is never the natural, the natural is the world Island. And if you think about the position, geographic position of Ukraine, it is a big transit area. Always look on the map, always look at the transit areas between like the big cultural different places like Asia or Asia minor or Europe and Zelensky had actually claimed that Ukraine could function as the uh, Belt and Road Initiative, like the New Silk Road thing, as the gateway to Europe, which, of course, is why I always think they had this importance for pipeline, pipelines and stuff. Uh, and then it says, you know, sanctions that will push Russia towards consolidating its bilateral ties with China will fully integrate this Belt and Road Initiative and a pan-Eurasian trading bloc may be the realignment which forces a shared governance of the global commons and resets the age of, this guy says, U.S. exceptionalism. Yeah, I guess I, I might accept that. I might accept that. But, but, but here's the thing. China couldn't do any of this without us. Russia couldn't do any of this without us. We're pushing them in real time before your eyes. But also, if you go back, Corbett did that great thing on the origins of kind of China's emergence. Nixon was in on that. Kissinger was in on that. The Rockefellers were in on that. They gave them technology. They gave them defense. Um, so, so that just shows you uh, that what the elite does is foster this world government, which they see as centering out of China. But for us... It isn't consistent with our values to have opened up China as a communist country to a most favored nation trading status, for example. Like it just shows, and we don't benefit from it. We won't be enriched by it, but they will. And Biden specifically has an interest in it. So I thought that was interesting. I won't spend as much time on every single one. Uh, let me keep going. I have I a response I can't to that. Yeah, one yeah. Right there. Mm -hmm. So I, one of the CFR panel discussions that I talked about that they published it yesterday, I believe that was held yesterday, and they were talking about how Saudi Arabia is considering accepting the Chinese yen instead of the dollar or for the oil sales. And 
they were talking about how real that possibility was. And a woman on the panel discussion said something that stuck out to me. She said, we're living at a time when things that seemed impossible are now happening. As though she expects that this very well could happen and they could move forward with that. And in the same context, they were all giving their position on what they thought the end game for Putin was. And all of them agreed that they don't see how this ends without Putin being removed from power. And I know we've talked about that before, but for the whole end game of all of this great reset, what is an off ramp for Putin when he has been declared internationally as a war criminal and a baby killer? I don't see an off ramp for that. You can't be okay. Okay. We're going to negotiate with Hitler. And that's essentially what would happen if they have an off ramp for, for Putin. So I think this is leading to, like you said, the emergence of China when it comes to things shifting that way. And for Putin ultimately being removed from power with maybe China helping negotiate that removal. Uh, I don't know how that, you know, plays into the Eurasian hegemony. And I don't, I don't see that. I don't see Putin being removed from power, but it's, I guess we're thinking about, um, I have this barking dog, which is very annoying. All right. So it says with, um, I have to let that dog out. Why don't you carry on by reading the highlighted portion of the seventh? All right. Number seven. Number seven with speculation mounting over the war's long-term impact on bilateral trade flows between China and Europe. The Russia-Ukraine conflict will catapult Israel, a leading advocate for the Great Reset, yes, and uh, to even greater international prominence. prominence. So it will catapult Israel to even greater international prominence. That I see a lot of that going on. So when this whole thing started, the way that I looked at it was I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know what the specific intricacies of everything is going to be, but if it's happening and if it's getting this much media attention and if it's being promoted in such a uniform way, then it is part of the plan or, or they've seen an opportunity and they are adjusting themselves to fit that opportunity. And when this whole Ukraine came, thing came out and everybody was so uniformly putting the flags up on their social media profiles and even the left and right are agreeing. That's when I always know there's something up is when the left and right in the news media are agreeing. I, I said this is part of their plan. What's the ultimate goal of the Great Reset? And that is the global fascist powers. And so how are they going to use whatever's going on to help them meet those goals? And that's kind of the, the way that I watch the news through. We're talking about Israel being promoted to power and or more prominence, and they are a big promoter of the Great, great Reset, just as China yeah. is. And they, they appear to be rising in prominence as well. I hadn't realized that Israel um, was so important in this one thing. Did you read this? Israel's status among leading tech hubs as of the future and gateway connecting Europe and the Middle East is inextricably tied to the web of physical infrastructures, such as roads, railways, ports, and energy pipelines, which China has been building over the past decade. So I don't know if it's because of... Um, Israel's position there is kind of, I guess, the Middle East is a central, you know, I just, I don't have a full grasp of this because this was a totally new idea to me. Uh, I didn't know how Israel was going to fit in with this. I know they have close ties with Ukraine. Uh, you see that um, 
you know, uh, Russia dealing with Israel in this way. Jerusalem was, um, Trump, you know, recognized Jerusalem in a way that hadn't been recognized before. And uh, it's interesting because the the last thing it says is, is Israel in the formative stages of outsourcing its security interests away from the U.S. and hedging its bets on the Sino-Russian axis. That would really... That would really mark what I thought was happening here, which is there that China would be basically a global hegemon and that we would accept a kind of negotiated second place or regional hegemony over South America. So I just I think it's very interesting that uh, if that's the way Israel's going, I think that's probably a good indication that that's the way it is going. And I also didn't know how if that they were well known as a supporter of the great reset i was unaware of that i was unaware of that as well they're always kind of in the background doing some things well they always they're very prominent with the tech stuff that i know but i just i didn't know how how close they were with the the great reset okay it's also common knowledge that says this is number eight that the digital ids are essential plank in the World Economic Forum's Great Reset Agenda and are to be streamlined across industries, supply chains, and markets as a way of advancing the UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals and delivering individualized and integrated services in future smart cities. Now, what, how this plays in is they are saying that uh, the supply chain issues, the food shortages, all of that, are bringing this idea of rations. And I thought of that too, that there might be an issue of rations that surround is surrounded by this war and that they're saying that they're going to bring the digital ID is not just going to be for vaccines. It's not going to be just for the, the digi dollar for UBI for universal basic income, but it's also going to be how you can use rations. So, and then they also introduced here that the bank of England has floated an idea of programmable, currency, programmable dollars, where their version of dollars, pounds or whatever, that they are there. So you can only use this money for food, kind of like food stamps or what do they call it? DTAP. I forget what they call it. Uh, So that you, that you can use food stamps for certain things that they would actually have programmable dollars that can only ever be used for those things. I thought that was interesting. And a tweet sent me a link to an article that was in French, which I don't read and probably should because I took it for a long time. Uh, Ukraine just silently announced it's the first country to implement the World Economic Forum's Great Reset by setting up a social credit application combining universal basic income, a digital identity, and a vaccine passport all within their app. And I believe this is a way to keep track of rations as well. So So convenient. Yes, and of course that's how they they show it. But it says there, if food inflation continues and they continue to have to subsidize people's food and give them these stimmy checks, you know, which that probably was a, a way to go into that, that they would use this to track our carbon footprint and our consumption habits, because you know it so closely tracks what we consume. You know, well, it's yeah, they need to make sure that we're eating healthy and exercising, obviously. Yes, yes. So Europe is directly, this is number nine, in the line of fire once a hybrid war between NATO and the Sino-Russia axis is underway. 
So yes, they think there's going to be a cyber attack that will provide an excuse to overhaul cybersecurity and give everybody, and this is what we talked about in the free 30, a digital ID for internet access. And I thought, oh, all our efforts moving over to private stuff won't be worth anything if you have to identify yourself in order to access anything, unless it intends to bypass all that. But I don't see how that was going to bypass it any more than digital currency is going to bypass that. I just yeah. don't see it. I think we have to figure out what anonymous did. I think your question earlier is right. Yeah. How do we get that blue check mark as anonymous? Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Good point. All right. So this is what I thought was the money right here. This is the big, big thing that bingo. It's exactly what we've been talking about for so long. It says the economic implications of this war will be so disastrous that governments and the public sector will require a significant injection of private capital to address the financing shortfall. And then it goes on to say, this will, this will completely combine what I used to call the corpo governmental continuum. It doesn't say that exactly here, but the nation state model is taking a backseat to a global technocracy. And uh, all of this stuff is going to um, be decided through a network of multi-stakeholder partnerships, which are motivated by the politics of expediency and not accountable to any electorate or beholden to any state and for whom concepts like sovereignty and international law are meaningless. And when I look at stuff like this, you know, I start to wonder about my, uh, well, I have wondered about this before, that just to be an anarcho-capitalist, which was always something I was completely comfortable labeling myself as, because on paper that does work. But if it was intentionally put there in order to trap you into losing any kind of uh, protection from the nation state vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis a world government, so you get everybody to advocate for the end of a nation state only to replace it with this pre-PAC global fascism, uh, that's a problem. And, and we have to think about if it is a setup based on a past that we are not going to get back. And if we have to be more practical about, um, you know, not cutting off our noses despite our face. And, and for me, I, oh, I made that decision a long time ago and I defend the bill of rights and that's all you need to do. That's the only compromise you need to make. It's not really a compromise. It's just recognizing that there is this government there. It has a lot of power. They gave up this 10, Thing list that would control their power. And if we defend that, that's the thin parchment line against this global technocracy. But I think that ship may have sailed. And, and uh, I think it's eliciting kind of nationalism in people, but we didn't need it to go that far, but they wanted it to go that far because that yeah. someone like me, I'm not going to really embrace that. Yeah. I, I think the ultimate defense to that is thinking, is pausing before action, pausing before taking that decision, pausing before being sucked into the tribalism and the nationalism, as you said, because that's how they win. That's how they win is when they, they divide and conquer. It's I think they're going to win simple overview. Yeah. This way. I think they're going to win because they have a plan <laughs> and they're right. They have a plan, but that plan is, wins is being implemented is because the public will do stuff like scream at each other and ban people because the kid is Russian yes. or they'll put their flag because we just so blindly and emotionally will are buy into the propaganda. If it that would be is the defense. Yeah, yeah. It would be great if people st stood by their principles, but I'm beginning to wonder about like uh, reconnecting with Pete Q and Tho Bishop and stuff about like, okay, well reconnect with your principles. But since we have government, maybe we should uh, try to bend it to our will instead of, just um, 
hope for the best. So I just, yeah. it's just food for thought is all I'm saying. It's just, this is something that, that because liberals say this stuff, this guy's a liberal who wrote this, you know, real. Um, so he say, they always look to the government. So when you think of Europe, they're looking to the government to protect them from the corporate state, from the corporations. Mm -hmm. We're not like that because we don't have the same history they have. But now I understand because we're beginning to get that reality. And now I understand what they're saying. So it's complicated. It's too complicated for a DMV. Very interesting. Do we have any shout nope. outs today? today? No shout outs today. Nope. All right. Well, thank you, Monica. That was very interesting as always. Thank you guys for watching. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform, the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to the extra content that we post every time we post a DMB, go to propagandareport.locals.com, patreon.com slash propaganda report or rockfin.com slash propaganda report to check out our various offerings on each platform. We will talk to y'all tomorrow or next week or in the DMB XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.